Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. On today's show, we have Alpesh Parmar, an entrepreneur, real estate investor, and the host of Wealth Matters Podcast, where he interviews the best investors across the U.S. every week. Alpesh is passionate about helping busy working professionals build long-term wealth using investments and real assets. He wants them to build supplemental income and live a stress-free life, like the rest of us, I hope. <laughs> Alpesh, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, thank you for having me, Joe. And I'm, I'm doing great. Can't complain. So what, uh, you know, give our listeners some insights about yourself. What have you been up to and kind of what do you do over Wealth Matters? Sure. So I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. So, of course, I am from IT, <laughs> right? When I got laid off in back in 2009, I kept thinking about creating supplemental income, passive income, multiple streams of income. Never took the steps, but 2011, I became accidental landlord. And that taught me that real estate is one hell of an asset. There are a gazillion of millionaires, pretty much, which were made because of real estate. So I started learning more and more about real estate. And pretty much 2015 is when I actually took the step and started acquiring real estate out of state. So that's when the journey started. And uh, 2017-18 is when I realized that I need to spread my knowledge. So I started wealthmatters.com, Wealth Matters Podcast, started investing in large-scale, big-scale apartment buildings. But then I moved on. Right now, Wealth Matters focuses on recession-resistant assets on real estate side. I focus on mobile home parks senior housing facilities and self-storage facilities. So those three, I studied back in 2008 and 9. those three did not get clobbered. They actually thrived and they did pretty well. They survived and they did pretty well. So I wanted to focus on those. So this is what we do. We buy large mobile home parks to senior housing facilities. Uh, we rent them out, of course, collect the rent and my investors get paid. But you can see my head, crypto dad, right? So <laughs> crypto, I became passionate about it back in 2015 as well. I'm like, this is something, not crypto. Again, people uh, do not understand crypto is one type of blockchain, right? So blockchain is what got me into it. I'm like, this is interesting. It's transparent. No one can just bluff everything's available for you to consume right it's it's so easy and it's it's a literally a real general ledger right so i started investing and then back in 2018 i had started my own mining company as well which i folded it up at wrong time so we started in 2017 we stopped mining in 2019 so my other side of the business my own portfolio i for i have 50 60% real estate i don't do a lot of stocks but crypto got me hooked to it. And so my other side of the business, of course, I invest, but we do a lot of Bitcoin mining. And I know you and I had spoken about that. Actually, we last year, we launched four different Bitcoin mining funds and we ended up raising over 50 million. So, so many people are interested, even though the market is correcting and it's a volatile market. It's going to go through its ups and downs. But we just closed on our Bitcoin mining fund six as well, literally last Friday, where we bought similar to, you know, when we buy distressed asset in real estate, we bought distressed machines because, you know, a lot of these companies got over leverage. And this is why we never took leverage. 
whatever we like we bought 50 million we raised 50 million we bought machines worth of 50 million not 200 million or something because we wanted to make sure we survive during this downturn that is the key so right now we were able to buy some machines uh, not some worth of 17 million dollar machines which were sold for over 50 million we just got it for 17 million and they are up and running so we don't even have to wait like i we had to wait during our earlier mining fund so we are literally mining as of today and we'll start distributing investors from next month all right well we'll go into some more details there because i'm sure <laughs> people want to hear about that right because everyone always talks about what about mining what about mining but really no one ever has any answers so <laughs> you know what i've seen is people on the tech side you know tech including crypto always want to have exposure to the real estate side and and then real estate people like kind of get jealous and want exposure to the tech side and the upside that's there because sometimes that's a little bit higher return so you know, is yep. it just that people want what they are not in? Or what do you think the draw or lore is to kind of invest in that other side? I think real estate is still the way to go, but you got to keep your eyes and ears open, right? And there are other investable assets out there. And you don't have to go after everything like I do. My goal is for Wealth Matter is to teach everyone about what else is out there. So I try out everything just for the sake of me understanding and giving the knowledge back to the community. But I would still say you got to have some gambling money, some money you are not afraid to lose. It could be 0.5% of your portfolio, 1%. I'm up to 5% of my portfolio in cryptos because I'm okay with losing that money. But also I know that I'm going to do good with that money. I'll be fine in next five years. Again, a lot of people, when they start playing with stocks, options, and cryptos, when they start and they see beginner's luck and then they buy in and out, right? Their goal is short-term income. That is not what I see. I look at long-term income. So you are right. A lot of real estate guys, actually, most of my investors, they invested in real estate and then they moved over to crypto because of the knowledge I provided, right? Every week I kept talking about it, that this is how it works and this is how you can generate additional income, staking and this and that, right? So, and say same thing with crypto guys because also even stocks, you know, stock guys, right? They made a lot of money in last two years if they timed it right. So they were like, okay, now we want to put the money in the safe assets, right? Some of this so that we can continue to generate income and it's a hard asset we can touch and feel. So when it comes to the real estate, are you guys sourcing your own deals and acquiring them or are you guys partnering with other operators out there? So uh, mostly we are partnering with other operators, right? And the way I figured it out is that I tried to do one on my own. And, and then of course I had a team, but it was pretty hard um, doing it out of state. So now I'm working with operators who are located there, right? So I have, for mobile home park, I'm only working with one operator, not three, not five. So we literally partner together, work very closely. Same way in senior housing, I'm only partnering with one partner and self storage. So that way, you know, I'm focused. I don't have to perform due diligence on the operator, right? Yeah. Once I have validated this operator, vetted him, uh, then I know that I'm going to work or her, I'm going to work with them only, right? So it makes it easier. So for everybody listening, what are some uh, criteria or requirements when you're looking at these operators to invest in or even these general partners like yourself? You know, what should people be looking for? Sure. So one very important is track record. Don't forget about that. That's the main thing. Don't look at the deals. Don't look at the numbers. Numbers won't matter in the end. 
but the track record of that person or those two guys, three guys or operators, right? Second, how long if it's more than one operator or partner, like in my case, the operator is there as well as I'm there, how long they have been working together? That's another key, right? Because you have to make sure you are going to hold this investment for three, five, seven years. Have they gelled well, right? You want to make sure about that. And third, I would say one of the pretty brightest mind told me that if you can find out about those operators even in more detail, what did they do three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago? Do they even ask them, have they had any bankruptcy? Even ask them to check if you can run background check on them. And I, I do that. I don't even ask them. I every time do it. I don't need social, right? You can just go to who is lookup. And there are so many ways for you to just run background check by phone number, by email address, and then by name, right? So that gives you a pretty good idea. I, I made a mistake of not doing that five years ago, and I lost every penny in that investment. Because I, later I found out one of the partner had a bankruptcy twice in the last 20 years. <laughs> So lesson learned now, you know, I, I, those are the three things you want to look at first or for the on the partner side, right? And then move on and look at the location because real estate, the most important thing is location, location, location. But first, uh, this you know, move this out of your way. Because once you com become comfortable with that partner and you know that this is going to work, you may invest with them again and again. So you don't have to do that due diligence. So you don't need to go to 10 different operators and try to invest to diversify. That's the, like the one of the worst ways to invest, right? You want to pick two or three and then diversify with them in different areas or different assets. So that's one good point. So my buddy, I think, has like 20 plus he made in the last few years because he kind of wanted to get a little bit of taste, we'll call it, from all these different operators. And, you know, he's trying to figure out along the way. So your key points are a lot less operators, but a lot more due diligence and a lot better track record. Yes. Instead of that spray and pray, more narrow in on the few that you believe are the best. Yeah. And so that's a great point as well. Like 20 means you're, he's never going to build the repo with those operators. But when you reinvest with three operators, now you build a repo. Now, most of the time, you know, these guys can text me right away and I have to respond because I know these are important investors or they understand what I'm doing. And in the end, most of my business is referral. Because when I start, I'm so responsive. I take care of them. They're like, okay, my mom wants to invest. My cousin wants to invest, my friends. So I would say 19% of the time, it's just referral. At the end of September here, I was at uh, Quest Expo, you know, self-directed IRA event in yes. Texas. And it's very interesting because, you know, if you're coming in and not quite sure, you roll in and there's a whole bunch of booths. Everyone's <laughs> offering a real estate deal, 15 to 20 percent IRR. Yes. They all look yeah, the exact same kind of thing, right? <laughs> They're all the performers <laughs> look the same. 15 to 20 percent IRR, exactly. three to five years. And you're like, well, <laughs> are they all just great? Or, you know, is there something else behind the curtain? And what you're, uh, you know, pointing to is, you know, more in depth on that track record, checking even their personal background, what they do with their life and kind of forming your own opinion around that. Right. And great point again that, as I said earlier, numbers won't matter in the long term, right? Does it matter if you made 15% or 16% over five years? No, right? So that's why all of the performers are same, 15 to 20% IRR. So what happens most of the time when even I started investing, I just jump onto the deal. Oh, I like Atlanta market. Oh, the numbers are 20% IRR, but that guy is giving me 18%. But those are just pro forma. Think about this 20% may become 14 and the 18% guy may still give you 18, right? So don't look at those numbers yet. <laughs> let's, uh, let's also evolve this, right? And that is, 
what we've seen in the last year, especially in the crypto and tech side, and even on the real estate, is that people have used the last three to five years track record to kind of raise that next yeah. round, right? Or in the venture side, more or less, they use those unrealized gains, right? To kind of boost that IRR and raise capital. So, you know, the hindsight's yeah. 2020, but moving forward, there's no guarantee of that projected return, right? No, no, I think that's 100% correct. As I said, you know, it's just pro forma, right? Things change, things evolve. No one thought that the government would go after interest rate like this, right? Within six months, we are at close to 7% from 2.8%. That's ridiculous. No one would have thought, right? <laughs> no, we're breaking records and we're breaking things along the way, yes. right? <laughs> so also for those that are looking to get real estate exposure, they may not have a certain niche that they're familiar with, right? You mentioned senior housing, mobile home parks. You know, there's been a lot of talk the last years on multifamily. Trends may also change. And so what's your take on the next three to five years and how do you view you know, trends moving forward? So trends moving forward, I would say the biggest issue right now in US and most of the part of the world is the affordability, right? As we know that inflation, Fed is trying and you and I know that it's not easy to bring it back from 8% to 2%. It's gonna take significant amount of effort and that would mean a recession, <laughs> right? But even then affordability on the housing side has been the biggest problem. And with the interest rate rising, right now a lot of people are just getting, they don't wanna get in the market. So that is why I think apartment buildings would continue to do good, but again, it will depend on the location, right? And the kind of asset. But mobile home parks would do amazing just because of the affordability factor, right? Though some of these people would get kicked out even from apartments, right? Or, or they would want their own space. And by moving to mobile home parks, they have their own space like a house, right? And they're not sharing walls, but they may be paying same rent as an apartment, right? So I think a mobile home park, we will see that it would continue to do good. And the problem with mobile home park on the other side is that Governments don't allow mobile home parks. There is no new construction pretty much. If you had a land which is grandfathered in and it's approved for mobile home park, then yes, you can build. But right now, most of the counties and cities do not allow new construction of mobile home parks. So the, the mobile home parks which are existing, they are going to thrive because there is no competition, right? Uh, of construct, new construction, like in single family and multifamily, there will be competition from new construction. On the other trend side, second, uh, why I mentioned self-storage is because a lot of people, when they lose job or they want to downsize, they end up keeping their prized possessions, right? And where do they move all that? To a self-storage facility. Instead of paying, let's say if you are going to pay $2,000 per month for an apartment building, uh, sorry, a, a two-bedroom um, apartment, you may have to pay $2,500 for three-bedroom. Instead of paying half 500 bucks more, they can pay 50 bucks more and just store their stuff somewhere. And the third, why senior housing on from the trend perspective is that by end of next year, seniors would be the largest population base in US. And that is a growing trend in most of the parts of the country. As you know, Japan, almost everyone is 70, 80 plus, right? Because they were working so hard, they never thought about family. They don't even have kids. China is going through that transition now because it was a one kid policy and they now changed it, 
right? Now they are allowing it, but because of that, their workforce is aging as well. But U.S. is the biggest because the baby boomers are have retired or retiring, right? And they are moving to that senior space and, you know, they are going to need a place to stay. And I think it's the best of both worlds where we provide them quality housing, make money, but also they have a nice place to stay. So trend-wise, I think those are going to do great. I see also car washes <laughs> are doing great. Yeah, so it's uh, it's just everyone is moving into it. So I think it's the same kind of transition we went through in apartment building to mobile home park to self-storage where it started changing hands from mom and pop industries to large corporations like or syndicators like us. Car wash industry is also going through the same transition right now. I see laundromat is going through the same transition. And people think, if we are not going to have a car, why do I need car wash? No. Actually, if we are going to live in the Uber Lyft economy, those people have to wash car every day, <laughs> right? That's true. We don't, but they have to because you you want to provide the best right possible, get the highest ratings and whatnot. So if you think about it, it's needed. Same way laundromat, you are thinking, oh, everyone has washer and dryer. No, this new generation, the Gen X, Gen Y, they don't like to do laundry at home even. They just want to drop it off and get it done. So the laundromat where you have dry, you know, fold and dry service and whatnot, they will survive. They'll do great. So there are a lot of trends morphing right now, which is interesting when I'm watching them. So do you think, uh, since a lot of these new local mobile home parks aren't coming to market or being built, do you think right. like this tiny house movement, I'm starting to see some of these developers putting these, call, I'll call them like kind of tiny houses. Yes. It's almost like trying to do the mobile home park, but with a tiny house, like do you think yeah. that it has some legs or what, what's your thoughts there? I think it has some legs, but only in expensive markets where the affordability is a big problem, right? Because their cost, when I looked at it, Mighty Buildings, I've actually personally invested in Mighty Buildings because it's a startup and mm. this is what they do. And there are tons of them, Boxable, and I would name a, a lot of them. When I looked at it in detail, I realized their cost is remains the same. So there is no cutting cost. So So now the problem is, the market, let's say we pick Birmingham, Alabama, where I can buy a nice, you know, build a nice house for 200 grand. And these guys will give me a tiny home also for 200 grand. What am I going to choose? Right. But in Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area, you know, they are building it for 350 grand. And if you want to build a nice house like that, you are, it's going to cost you 800, 900 grand. Then it makes it worth for the effort. Right. So I would say they will survive. And then maybe thrive as well in the markets like San Francisco, Austin, Denver, yeah. Phoenix, some of those markets. But it won't work in mid Midwest and you know Northeast markets where it's already pretty cheap to build a house. Let's maybe also then address cap rates, right? Because I think that's probably one of the biggest things people are going to have conversation around now. Because right. typically with interest rates rising, cap rates kind of also start to expand, right? And yep. when you're underwrite, you're typically making projections for three to five years out, which... Right now, it's just like, who knows? You know, people all predict that rates are just going to come back down. But, you know, yeah. that might not be the case because everyone's kind of on that side of the trade. So what's your thoughts on maybe where cap rates will go and maybe how that impacts some of the underwriting or the performance of the deals in the next few years? Oh, that's a great question, man. I'm personally worried about it as well. So right now, every deal we look at, we are we are being ultra conservative now. 
So before, you know, we'll see a five cap deal, even in mobile home park world, and sometimes six cap, depending yeah. on the, if it's a tertiary market or secondary, we're like, okay, it looks like this is a good deal, right? Now we are seeing those deals tray already getting listed at seven, eight cap, right? So they are adding like two cap, 2% increase already within six months. So I agree, I think cap rates next year are going to expand, right? And maybe uh, not in the apartment building space, but in mobile home park space, we'll see eight to 10% cap rate. So definitely we have to keep an eye because interest rates. So yeah, our underwriting is changing right now. We are being very ultra conservative, as I said, and and don't want to look at if anyone is offering now at five, right? No, <laughs> it's not going anywhere right now. <laughs> it seems like a lot of different buyers, you know, have their pencils down and kind of, because most things won't underwrite to where they're trying to be conservative to meet those projections. So they're kind of just waiting to see what happens, you know, as we approach 2023. Is that what you're seeing too? Yes, yes. So we are still looking, actually, we are underwriting a five-part portfolio in Tennessee right now. And even with the interest rate change, our underwriting hasn't changed because, you know, we were already buying it at, right now it's operating at five but it has so much value add component to it that even when it's fully um, done, I think we are just with our money, we are looking at like nine caps. So so we knew that, you know, going in. So we are continuing with that deal. Even the interest rate side is not changing our evaluation because for that deal, we knew that this is coming. We just didn't know that it would be this fast, but we knew that the interest rates are going to go up. But you are right now, after this deal, we are going to, you know, look at 2023 and then you continue to say no to more deals than, you know, yes. <laughs> so you're, you're kind of mentioning, you know, like we're talking in the range of let's call it three to nine caps, right? And typically yes. any type of that language in the crypto sector doesn't turn anybody really on, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, you know, people in the crypto sector definitely also see Terra Luna blow up and, you know, also yeah. see those high yields blow up. So they're looking for areas to participate within the ecosystem that can still give them a reasonable return, not only by just holding crypto, but other parts. And that kind of brings me next to the Bitcoin mining, right? And you've been participating in that. I kind of always get the outside info. I'm not very knowledgeable here. So for all of our listeners, you know, why don't you maybe break down how that works from an investment standpoint and what that pipeline looks like? Sure. So the what mining means is that you are, we are producing like gold mining, we are producing Bitcoin in this case. And as we know, Bitcoin is a POW proof of work mechanism, right? So the computers or the machines or the miners, we call them miners as well, they per solve a puzzle and because of that when they solve they get a reward in form of bitcoin right and as we know just a couple of weeks ago ethereum was also on proof of work which moved to proof of stake pos mechanism so now the computers don't have to work but it's the staking of ethereum by people like us will generate or mine ethereum right but bitcoin is going to stay on pow or proof of work mechanism the idea is that, because as you can tell, I continue to invest in real estate. I was investing in crypto, not as much as real estate, right? I liked it. But then when we were mining, I kept thinking about it. And when we stopped mining in 2019, and then I found my partner, 
he had a lot of money as well as a big team behind him. So we realized that, you know, this may be the time to jump in because now people are talking about Bitcoin. This was July of 2020. I, I can see that everyone is talking about Bitcoin. Five years ago when I wanted to talk about what is it? We don't care. You know, don't even talk. It's right. But you saw the shift from March of 2020 when COVID happened. And by July, August, everyone, oh, yeah, we got to own Bitcoin and Ethereum. So I'm like, okay, now people understand what this is and institutions started coming in. So 2021, we thought, why don't we come up with a mining mechanism where investors can invest and all of us benefit? And so, but because we both of us came from real estate world, our goal was to figure out how we can mimic real estate with cryptos. So, because real estate, two things it gives me. One, cash flow. Second, depreciation, right? So I don't have to pay any tax on this cash flow or any other passive income. So that was the big driver for me every time I invested in real estate, right? Because it's not only hard asset, but it I look, look for cash flow and I don't want to pay any tax legally, right? This is how Trump's Ted Turner's or Bill Gates don't pay any tax because they are smart, right? <laughs> they invest in real estate. So we wanted to marry that into Bitcoin mining. So we thought like, you can invest or buy stocks of Mara, Marathon Digital, Riot. Uh, they are also mining companies. They don't give you any dividend. You don't get any cash flow, nothing. You, you only see that they are mining, but when, only when you sell your stocks, you get paid. Or if they something else happens down the line five years, right, and they start dividend. We wanted to start cash flow from day one for investors. So what we did is that we'll buy machines, in whatever the Bitcoin number of Bitcoin these machines generate every month, 90% of the profit. We keep 10% for any issues with, let's say, a cable breaks out, a machine breaks, right? We have to, 90% of the profit we distribute it to the investors. So that was the key. So that also becomes passive income. So if you had passive loss from somewhere else, from real estate, you can write this off. But to make it icing on the cake, we also realized that because this is a business, we can write off entire hardware. So we are able to write off 90% of the investors in the investment in the first year using bonus depreciation, exact same as real estate. So now we were able to marry both of the benefits, cash flow and depreciation in the Bitcoin mining world. And that is what enticed a lot of investors to get in. People who were in real estate, they wanted to get in. People even who were in crypto, because they already knew the benefit, but they are like, oh, this way I'm a, I have a lot more downside protection, right? So like in our case, when we started fund one through fund four, Bitcoin was between 69,000 to I would say 45,000. Our cost of mining is still 14,000. So unless Bitcoin drops below 14,000, we don't have to stop mining. And the fund six, because as I mentioned, we bought distressed miners, our cost to mine Bitcoin would be 10 grand. So literally we are okay till, you know, so that this way investors are, even when the Bitcoin is getting down, they are getting the cash flow or distribution every month. I mean, I heard that uh, one of the most important factors is definitely can be obviously, well, the cost of the machines, but also the cost of electricity, right? Yes. How have you guys been able to navigate getting good pricing? 
So we work with, uh, of course, we host our machines with Compute North uh, and Core Scientific. These are some of the largest uh, hosting companies in the world. Marathon Digital uses Compute North uh, or Riot uses Core, Core Scientific, right? So when we sign the contract, we all they, these companies already have a contract with the utilities company utility companies, right, where they are paying constant energy and they basically turn it around and sell that contract to us. So all of our funds, we have signed like three years contract. So we exactly know how much they like. That's why our blended in cost, we already know how much that would be. Only sometimes it, it fluctuates because of the hash rate or the difficulty rate of mining, but our electricity remains same. Yeah, if we have to do, cancel that contract and get a new contract right now, the elect, utility electricity rates have gone up like crazy, right? But also on the other side, we are also mining at facilities where we are not only relying on electricity or power. We like our facility in Nebraska has a solar farm and wind farm. So if something happens to electricity, right, power, we can survive for two, three, four days without any issue. So we have backups uh, as well. We were also looking at a facility in Ohio where there was nuclear energy available. We didn't go through that one, but right now we are mining in uh, the state of New York, right next to Niagara using hydro energy, right? So a lot of time, these utility companies actually produce a lot more electricity than they need. And that goes uh, pretty much, if they don't use it, it's it's gone, it's wasted. So that's why Texas has been opening arms to Bitcoin mining or crypto mining because they have so much of surplus energy. And that surplus of energy, they want to sell it at cost or even below cost because they just want to get rid of it. You know, most people obviously are going to ask up front how profitable it is or what are some expectations around that when they make an investment into Bitcoin mining? That's a good question. Again, it depends on the Bitcoin price, which is what we realized after fund one. So just to put numbers in perspective, fund one, we started mining July of 2021. And within a year, we have returned over 60% of the capital. But I would say that was the best case scenario. That was the best fund we did because fund two, fund three, and fund four, we are about pretty much you are returning about 1% a month. Our target was about 4% a month. But because Bitcoin prices have gone down, we are still able to continue to um, do 1% a month. Again, our, we, we thought that, yes, we will be able to return entire capital in a couple of years. I don't think that is happening now. With Bitcoin Mining Fund 6, the one we just closed, I think we can still return even because our pro forma model, even if the Bitcoin price stays below 25 grand for next three years, we'll be able to return their capital because just... Um, the cost of the machines, right? So how important is it to, you know, I mean, it's always talked about, but how important is it to make those investments during certain parts of the Bitcoin cycle? <laughs> it's, it's a, I, I think it's, it's definitely uh, important to make it when it's going up or it's on the upturn, right? It makes you feel good. But on the flip side, you won't be able to buy machines at this kind of cost, right? So now we are, because after we saw that we are able to buy distressed machines like this, that has become a huge deal. I'm always looking for this type of deals now. Because just think about it, for fund one through fund four, let's say we got investors capital in uh, March, we are barely able to start mining in July of last year. 
right? So it took us four months and then it took us six months because of the cheap shortages, supply chain disruption, all that. So your money did not even start work for six months, right? But in this case, because we bought distressed machines, we are already mining. We didn't even have to wait. The money started working from day one and we bought it at one third of the cost. The same machines we paid between 8,700 to 10 grand, we just bought them for 3,700 each. So huge difference. Also, definitely there'll be more opportunities when the market is down, right? Because everyone is trying to run away from it. That is when you should jump in if you understand how the market cycles work. And uh, as of now, I still think Bitcoin and uh, crypto and pretty much every asset type will struggle almost throughout the next year. But remember, the Bitcoin halvening is coming May of 2024, and that is going to be the biggest catalyst. And hopefully by that time, all of this inflation recession talks are over. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts on uh, when it comes to maybe, uh, you know, entering or underwriting certain crypto projects or even crypto funds here over the next few years as they look to allocate? That's a good point. So definitely, again, in those side as well, evaluate the team. Now it's more than ever to evaluate the team correctly before it was okay because everything was going up. It's like crowd. It did not matter which crypto project you chose. It just worked, right? Because everything was, you know, the tide was taking everything up. But now is the time because you may be able to find great deals right now. But definitely look at the team, who, who the people behind are, and also don't go after crazy returns right now. Right now is not the time. Right now, it's important to look at how you can preserve that principle also while staying invested, right? Like in my crypto mining deal, everyone asked me, should we take, so we allow them to take Bitcoin distribution or USD? And they're like, oh, should we take USD? I say, no, if you believe in Bitcoin, at this price, if you are getting distribution, why would you want to convert it to USD? You know, you already took the chance, a leap of faith. Can't you hold it on for at least two years? You, I'm not asking for five years. I'm saying Katie Wood or Elon Musk, say half a million of Bitcoin. Just hold it for two years and it's at least back to 70 grand, if nothing else. And, and you will be very happy. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, time will cure the market, right? Exactly. And what goes up goes down and then it goes again, up again, right? <laughs> I know. I always like to say to people, I was like, listen, if your real estate and multifamily are these deals traded, you know, as a security token or as a liquid asset, every time someone buy a value add, the property would dramatically drop because they get rid of tenants yes. <laughs> and they go to do repairs. And the value on a trailing three annualized would be that you lost a lot of money, but you don't even see that. You wait for that check in three to five years and you really don't exactly. realize that. But with liquid assets, you see it every day and that affects your emotions. You need to think about the same thing. It's a three to five year lockup and you have a thesis while you're making that investment, right? Yep, that's exactly what it is. And that's why real estate looks good because it's a hard <laughs> asset, but it's also illiquid, right? You don't go on Zillow and say, oh, oh yeah, after a month, my property value dropped, let me sell it. <laughs> right, <I'm laughs> I agree. So let's leave off with uh, you know one final question here. And that is, what is the biggest thing that you've implemented in your life that's helped increase your net worth? Wow, that's a, that's a loaded question, man. <laughs> so I would say a um, couple of things. And as you can see, uh, the copy of my book, I'm very resilient. I don't give up. I don't quit. Yes, I, I may fail and I have failed, but that does not mean I give up, right? 
I, I invested in something and I failed, that means, okay, I, I don't think I understand this or maybe this is not my cup of tea, I'll move on. But I did not quit in the middle of the race, right? So that has been resilient. Second, I have implemented this called Miracle Morning, the book by Hal Alrod. I highly recommend people read is that it, it has a savers. They call it a savers. And those are acronyms for S means silence. Affirmations, A, V, visualization, E, exercise, R is for reading and S for scribing. I don't do all six of them in the morning, but I try to do at least three of them. So I meditate, I exercise, and I also visualize every day where I want to go and access. So that is the second thing. And the third book I want to also mention is The Go-Giver Club. It's a great book and it's about giving, right? It's very important while we are working so hard and trying to make money, we forget about giving. But that book, what it taught me that every time you give, you are going to get 10 times back at some point. Not a lot yep. of time you give it to your friend and you're like, oh, that friend is not helping me or doing me anything, but it will come back from somewhere else, right? So don't think about it when you are giving that, oh, uh, you know, I want to get something back. Our philosophy has always been, oh, to get something I'll have to give. No, no, no. Just give and forget about it and then and you will get something back at some point. Well, I appreciate sharing those. I mean, that's uh, some great insights. Obviously, is backed by a lot of experience. So I appreciate <laughs> uh, coming out on the show today, Alpasha, and we look forward to seeing you again in the future. Hey, I appreciate it, man, Joe. Thank you again. The Joe Roberts Show.